Welcome to Home Space and Reason, a podcast about creating a home that thrives. Hi there, I'm Christina Browning, your host. If you know your home could be so much more than it is, I discuss home functionality, aesthetics, and automation. I'm the home functionality coach and realtor. I geek out on various subjects regarding your home and yard, challenging you to think of your space differently to get the most out of every square foot. I pose questions for you to think through about your space and your reason. This podcast is all positive, offering you virtual fist bumps and celebrating every win. Remember, there's no such thing as perfect, but you can still aim for your best every day. In this episode, let's discuss aesthetics and automation. Indoor plants, outdoor plants, air plants, succulents, tiny micro plants in itty bitty pots, and massive monsters that command respect. I am indiscriminate on my love for all things that grow. Plants can make a massive difference in the ambiance of your interior, cultivating relaxation and peace. Plants convert the carbon dioxide people and animals exhale into fresh oxygen and they can raise the ambient humidity of a room, creating a more comfortable environment to breathe in. When you list your home with me, one of the perks I include as a realtor is space and reason staging as a value-added bonus at no cost to my client. What does that mean exactly? I don't haul in furniture from outside. Instead, we walk through your home together and identify what should stay and what needs to be packed away. I often rearrange things and many times I bring in art and plants. It absolutely changes how a home looks in the final listing photos when there are plants present. It adds a subtle natural beauty that the human spirit craves, whether we are aware of it or not. Why is it important? Because buyers shop online first. The stunning professional photos are what spurs them to come and see your home in person. So it's a really big deal. If I can't get them in the door, I have no chance of getting an offer. I make sense of any odd spaces, of course, and work with you to stage your home as beautiful as it can be so the professional photos are fantastic, the walkthrough video is appealing, and makes the best first impression to get people in the door to see it early and offer quick. The goal is always to get top dollar for your investment. Strangely enough, one of the components to this formula is plants. So you bet I have a stash. Wait, I just admitted that I came up with a reason for work to have a house full of plants. Don't tell my husband. Hey, I loan them out. Shush it. (laughs) I use houseplants to saturate your space with this natural, refreshing color to promote energy and introduce more natural elements into the room. But why wait for me to list your home to add plants to your interior? I'm sure many of you have lots already. Some of you may even be as obsessed about it as I am. 
Do you have trouble getting to sleep? Some swear by the power of lavender by your bedside table or on it to naturally enhance relaxation. I found this idea intriguing. How smart. While this pretty herb isn't a traditional houseplant, you can manage to keep it healthy if you do the right things. Most indoor lavender plants don't display ideal growth and leaf color, let alone beautiful blooms, because of the lack of adequate light. It's especially true in northern regions in the winter, which happens to be right where I live. When reading up on this, it appears that a bright south-facing window sitting on a small table or plant stand yields the best results, although I don't have a bedroom with any south-facing windows. So you can also use grow lights. When growing lavender indoors, the pot should only be two inches larger than the plant's root ball, which prevents the extra soil from being waterlogged. Lavender prefers a pot with an inch or two of limestone gravel topped with a basic soil specific for containers. You can mix dried and ground eggshells into the top of the soil to add lime every four weeks or so. Water it only when it's dry to the touch at about one inch deep. French lavender can grow well indoors. They're not as fragrantly potent as English lavender, but they are capable of adapting better to indoor environments. Other good types of lavender to grow indoors include Canary Island lavender and fern leaf lavender, which tolerate wet conditions better than other lavenders. I'm ordering one today and will update you on how it goes. I'll be interested to see if I can pull off not just keeping it alive, but achieving a bloom and therefore the scent that makes this an ideal concept in theory. But we'll see if I can pull it off in real life. Who is up for the challenge with me? I will post these varieties in the podcast notes so you can order some if you choose to do this fun experiment with me. I will post my adventure on the Home Space and Reason Facebook group page and I hope you will too. My plant hobby has grown to an all-out obsession these days, but what is interesting is I began life with a for-reals black thumb situation. If you've listened to my previous podcast, you'll know that when I'm stuck with an interesting dilemma, I love nothing more than to sit with it for a while and look at it from every angle. I was determined to figure out why I was killing every plant that I brought into my house and always had. When we built our house, I had the builder take out a whole exterior living room wall in the plans. In its place, I added a sliding California door, which is a wall of windows that accordions open in nice weather. One would think this would give the space a decent shot at being plant-friendly, right? Nope. Did I mention we have two smallish windows higher up flanking our fireplace and large windows opposite the aforementioned wall of windows? And still, they died. I couldn't keep a plant alive to save my own life. So, one slow baby step at a time. I started addressing each thing I could think of. Soil, watering more, watering less, add fertilizer, choosing lower light plants, and then higher light plants, all to no avail. 
As a last resort, I swapped out the two recessed ceiling lights on either side of our fireplace with grow bulbs. The heavens parted and the angels sang. My plants were happy and green and I became a little <clears throat> obsessed. Now that I finally figured out the secret, I would never ever have guessed my issue was lack of light based on the number of large windows in this space. But we do live in the Pacific Northwest with more than a few rainy days. What I love most about this is that these two lights are on their own switch. So as part of my husband's morning routine, he opens the shutters and flips on the grow lights by the switch as habit every single day. Because the light sockets were already there, we didn't have to add anything additional into the room to accommodate my plants, so aesthetically, it's the same as before. The only difference is my plants are thriving instead of dying. The grow lights are in the form of actual bulbs. They aren't the long, ugly shop lights you might be envisioning in your head. They sell them at most big box stores and hardware stores. Just look for a grow light symbol on the box in the same area as regular bulbs and make sure the circumference is smaller than your recessed socket. Now let me tell you about a grow bar. Sounds like a great place to get some beer, right? Nope. This is a 19-inch long modern piece of Baltic birch wood with rounded corners that has grow lights affixed inside to put in bookshelf areas or under anything flush so you hardly notice it's there. Yet, you can have plants. Full-spectrum LEDs emit a natural white light that produces little heat and nourishes plants while a timer allows for 8, 12, or 16-hour cycles with a tranquil fading effect to mimic sunrise and sunset. That makes it ideal for herbs, greens, succulents, cacti, and light-loving houseplants. It includes hanging and mounting hardware, and it is rated for 50,000 hours of indoor usage. I am also happy to report they are made in the USA. You can order a grow bar from Terrain. I will put the link here in the podcast notes. Because all of this indoor glorious light worked so well, I've also hung a plugged light from the ceiling in the corner of my master bedroom for my snake plant. It was fine growing in the dark-ish corner, but it surely is happier now that I added light. This is where I'm going to have a go at my new lavender plant. Fingers crossed. Now let's talk about plants and automation. I'm sure you're thinking there is no way she can tie in automation with plants, but oh yes, I can. <laughs> I have two tall corn plants flanking either side of my dining room table. They hit the ceiling this year, which puts them at nine feet tall. Only one side of each faces the window, and so to compensate, I put up lighting on the floor in each corner with grow lights in them. Yes, I know I'm supposed to turn the plants. And I do, but I'm not going to pretend sometimes time gets away from me and they don't get turned as regularly as they should. This helps so much. And now for the magic. The lights are connected to a smart plug, which means the lights come on automatically in the morning and go off again around 5 p.m. So I don't have to remember to do one more thing. It's magnificent. Now let's talk about the small jungle of air plants in my master bathroom window. 
It's the window you may have already seen a picture of in the Windows episode because it has window film on it instead of any type of blinds or shades. It's open and bright while still maintaining privacy in all its simplistic glory. I originally had air plants scattered in three or four places in the house, and I killed many until I moved them around enough to figure out their happiest place. They are now all thriving in my master bathroom window in filtered bright light, enjoying all the humidity of the daily showers that happen in there. The window film combined with humidity is like the intersection of happy and healthy for air plants. I want to read to you some interesting information I found in a study conducted by Virginia Lohr at Washington State University, of which I will link to in my podcast notes. In a study of people working on a computer task, when foliage plants were in the room, people reported feeling more attentive than did the people in a room without plants. In another study, people were asked how they felt in a room with three different treatments, no colorful objects, colorful objects, or interior plants. People felt significantly more carefree or playful and more friendly or affectionate in the room with interior plants than in the room with or without decorative objects. Another study compared office workers in buildings with or without interior plants and with or without windows with views of green spaces. No more than 60% of people working in offices without plants, whether they had views of green or not, reported feeling content or very happy while 69% of people working in offices with plants but no windows and 82% of those with both plants and window views were content or very happy. While performing the computer task, participants' systolic blood pressure rose, indicating that the task was stressful, but in the presence of plants, the rise was not as great, and it returned to pre-task levels more quickly than for those tested without plants. Hmm. This documented that interior plants, like images of nature, could produce a calming response. Other researchers have also documented that interior plants evoke stress-reducing effects that are similar to those evoked by nature. Productivity has shown to be higher when plants are present. Perceptions of physical discomfort was lower in a room with plants, when health improvement and pain reduction was studied as it applied to the presence of plants. With increased urbanization worldwide, there is growing concern about children's loss of exposure to nature. A recent book, Last Child in the Woods, has popularized this idea. Research has shown that adult preferences and attitudes towards plants, which are presumed to be largely learned, are strongly influenced by childhood interactions with nature. If these childhood interactions are lost or reduced, what will the consequences be? Studies in which 2004 adults from the largest cities in the U.S. were interviewed showed how important it is for children to interact with trees, plants, and nature. Adults were asked how often they had spent time picking flowers, fruits or vegetables from a garden, visiting or playing in local parks, or taking care of indoor or outdoor plants as children. Increased frequency of each of these activities had a strong positive influence on adult attitudes. 
For example, 71% of adults who often planted trees, seeds, or plants as a child felt that trees had personal meaning, while only 45% of those who never did so felt this way about trees. These results show the important influence of childhood involvement with plants on adults. The response is stronger if the interaction is active, such as picking flowers, than it is if it's passive, such as visiting a park. This positive response has been documented in people from a wide range of demographic and ethnic backgrounds. I really liked a post I saw recently on Instagram by Arium Botanicals, and I wanted to read it to you. Something we'd really like to talk about that's been on our minds is how all plants aren't perfect. Like us, plants have imperfections. Later, they go on to say all plants start having yellow leaves as it produces new foliage or acclimates to a new home. Just like us, we have stress and anxiety when moving to a new house or town. No plants are perfect or free of blemishes, not in the home or in their natural habitat. The best part of growing and owning plants is getting in tune with their needs. Just like how not all of our plants have the same watering needs, same soil, or same lighting needs. Plants should bring you joy, not stress and worry. Growing plants is a journey, and we should learn to enjoy and accept the full process of cultivating plants. You can follow them on Instagram under Arium Botanicals, spelled A-R-I-U-M Botanicals. Most plants need a container with drainage so that water doesn't cause its roots to rot. Invest in a diamond head mason drill bit. It takes one second to drill holes. Because why do so many good-looking pots not have holes in the bottom? I will never understand that. One thing I didn't realize until lately is that dust can block sunlight from being absorbed by your plants. So if your plant leaves are dusty, you can wipe the leaves with a moist sponge or cloth, although spraying them outside lightly can do the trick too, and that's a whole lot easier. Think of spending this time tending to your plants or researching what kind to get as a gift to yourself. Take notes where your vents are. If they're high up and it's winter time, your plants can dry out quicker than usual. My sister-in-law waters her plants on Sundays. Crazy enough, she had one plant that was flat as all get out by Friday. She realized what was going on, sat it in a sink of lukewarm water, and it got perky again. The vent was blowing straight on it, and it was the middle of winter. Up your watering game in the months when your heat has to be on more. Also noteworthy, in darker months, plants get really heady, reaching and stretching for any sunlight, please, must have sun, just like us. So I snip off the ends, stick them in water for three weeks or so, and let them root. Then I replant it next to where I snipped to create a more full and less stringy plant. When in doubt, propagate. When it comes to fertilizing, I recommend taking baby steps. You don't know how much, and if you stick a fertilizer stick in the soil, it might be too strong. Little bits at a time until you get a feel for how that plant is responding. Watering bulbs can work well, especially for persnickety plants. I have some that prevent the plant from completely drying out, but they do not take the place of watering completely. For me, they're a backup. The glass type are circular with a narrow stem you push into the soil. 
When the displaced water wets the soil, the pores close up again and the airflow stops. This process slowly wets the soil just as it dries out, keeping the soil damp but not overly wet. I have a different version that is simply open at the top with a terracotta plug, allowing the water to very slowly seep into the soil without it pouring out. It takes more than a week with this type of soil that I'm using. If you have listened thus far and you still think you can't grow anything, have you tried bringing home a ZZ plant? ZZ is short for the plant's tongue-tangling botanical name, which I'm not even going to attempt to say here. They are much less fussy and more tolerant of poor treatment than other houseplants. It's native to East Africa and Tanzania, where it thrives in heat and drought, but it has only been widely distributed as a houseplant since the mid-1990s. It stores water in its bulbous rhizome to survive its harsh environment. And it's slow-growing with waxy oval dark green leaves on graceful stems that can reach 2 to 3 feet in height. It's attractive in any room setting, but it tolerates a lot of less-than-ideal conditions and even in low-light areas. All parts of the plants are poisonous, so be sure to keep it out of reach of children and pets. I will also include a list of plants that are poisonous to pet and children in the podcast notes. And now, let's ask some questions. Questions to ask yourself about your home space and reason. Question one. Do I have some sort of plant in every room of my home? It doesn't have to be a giant space to have plants. My brother made a tiny row of shelves in their bathroom, and on it resides an even tinier plant in a micro pot as cute as can be. The entire thing isn't more than two inches tall. Think of plants in terms of being proportionate to your space. Question two. If you have a spot that needs something green, but there's not enough light, you have two choices. Add a grow light above it, or get a fake plant. Please be particular here and only buy fake plants if you can't tell if they are real or not. Fake plants of yesteryear looked so horrifyingly fake. Cringeworthy, really. It goes without saying. Please don't. Be patient. You're not looking for immediate gratification here. You're looking for something that looks real. Tune in to your self-talk. I value the experience within my home so much that I'm going to give it some real deliberate thought and make decisions about plants with intention and not with haste. I would rather it be right than done crappy and quickly. Question three. When you have identified the room and the space, next comes deciding what plant to go there. Start by asking yourself, should this be a hanging plant? Is this a small plant to sit on a shelf or countertop or credenza? Or is this a floor plant? If it's a floor plant, do I want it sitting directly on the floor or raised a bit in a plant stand? 
I adore my Christmas cactus in my living room, which is a massive plant in a raised stand. The plant is over 80 years old and it has been passed down from my great aunt to my mother to my sister-in-law and then to me because she ran out of space. The cover art for this podcast is this stunner of a specimen. If you're thinking of putting the plant directly on the floor, consider your space and the footprint you can allow. There are wide, squatty pots, average pots, or tall, skinny pots. The sky is the limit here, but decide first what suits your space. If you are in a massive room, make the footprint larger. If you're in a tighter area, tall and skinny might work best. Once you know the where and the shape of the pot you want, work backward now and you can choose what plant fits into this description of the amount of light and the size pot that you want. Question four, do you want an individual plant or a cluster of three or five? Odd numbers are best and varying heights are best. Also think in terms of different texture and color when grouping them. You might want one large, chunky, leaf, dark green plant in the back with a more airy, fuzzy, shorter fern and a spiky, miniature, variegated palm all in the same little party. Plants have a wide range of positive effects on people. They contribute positively both to our mental and our physical health. I'd like to close with a direct quote from the WSU study. Research has confirmed the stress-reducing benefits of passively viewing plants. It has been demonstrated that people's impressions of a room and their mental well-being can be significantly improved when plants are added. It also has shown that productivity and mental functioning are improved and that pain perception can be reduced. Research on the effects of plants on people has shown, in essence, that plants are essential for people to be at their best. Plants are needed in our lives all around us every day. They have a civilizing effect. They humanize our surroundings. Who do you know that might need to buy or sell a home in the Portland, Oregon area? If you happen to know someone who'll need a realtor soon in this geography, send them my way. You can easily connect through social media or my website, spaceandreason.com. I'm glad you've joined me today, and I appreciate your time. Be sure to subscribe and tell anyone who might also enjoy creating a home that thrives. Do you know that you can hire me no matter where you live? If you're really stuck on what to do with one particular space in your home, I have consults now open via the internet. Check out my website, spaceandreason.com, and click on the link, Imagine. Thanks for sitting in on this conversation about creating a home that thrives and for the privilege of your time. I'll meet you back here for the next episode. (laughs) 